Okay, if we could find our seats, that would be great. We're going to get started. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Thank you for coming out again. Thank you for taking time to be with us this morning and worshiping God with us. So glad that you are here. Is everybody ready for Christmas? Yeah. Kids say yes. Parents are like, no. <laughs> I understand that. Recently in the news, you heard about the uh, Black Friday ordeal where uh, somebody sprayed pepper spray into a crowd of people so that they could get the deal. If that doesn't reveal the condition of people's hearts, I'm not quite sure what does. Uh, what, what, was the, what was the follow-up plan with that, you know? Not quite sure. Um, in jail, can you imagine? It was a lady. Husband's getting that phone call from the jail. Honey, can you come pick me up? Where you at? I'm in jail. What happened? I pepper sprayed some people to get the deals. Don't do that, ladies, please. God help us. Let's pray. It had nothing to do with what I'm going to share. I just thought I would share that. The Christmas season. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you that it's not about stuff. Lord, it's not about materialism. Lord, and we can all get caught up in that. But Lord, truly help us to remember why we're celebrating in this time of year. That it was about the king of all kings coming to the earth. The savior of the world, leaving heaven, coming down and being born one of us, Jesus, we honor you today. We lift you up. Lord, I pray that this time of year people would come to know you like never before. I pray, God, for transformation of human hearts. Jesus, we really do want you to be seen. I pray that people would surrender their hearts to you. And, and it's interesting that this time of the year, it's, as they say, depression is at an all-time high. Lord, help, help us to remember why we're celebrating. It's because of you. Lord, prepare our hearts for what you want to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I'm going to be, uh, this is a kind of a part two called Counting the Costs. We're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist this morning and his part in the Christmas story of Jesus coming. No, John was not at the manger scene, so yes, he is a part of the Christmas story and how his life impacts us. What is his life preach to us. Um, last week, I talked about Mary and Joseph and them and how they counted the cost in this, this story that is so beautiful and has been, we've all grown up with it, but, but just looking at it from a different angle last week of, of what Mary and Joseph had to give up. You know, what God was calling of them, what he was, the, 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 the high call of God that he placed on their lives was going to alter them forever. This was not going to be easy. There's nothing going to be simple about it. And they put their reputations on the line for the cause of Christ, for, uh, for Jesus to be born, the angel coming to Mary. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to birth the Savior of the world. I want you to birth the Son of God. And all the shame that would go around with that because she's pregnant, out of wedlock, and she really had to count the cost. But she said yes to the plan of God. And the same thing with Joseph when the angel says, marry her. 
because he had planned to divorce her privately, and, you know, this was, this just didn't look good from so many different angles, and, and he said yes to the plan of God, but they both had to count the cost, and it was, it was a high price, but it was worth it. When you follow God's plan, it's a high price. And that's why Jesus said, in the, in, the, in the text that we looked at, Luke 14, Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you need to count the cost. You need to know what you're signing up for. You, know that you, can, you need to know that this is going to alter your life forever to follow me. But in the same sense, folks, the cost is so worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. The prize will be worth it. When we look at Jesus face to face, any little bit of cost that we might have paid on the earth, there will be nothing in comparison with looking him in the eyes. And the one with fire in his eyes looking at you in great love and embracing you and me and saying, well done. We will look back on this life and we'll say, I, I, I wish I would have paid even a little more because the cost is, there's nothing compared to knowing him. But today we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist and how he fits in the Christmas story, why his life is so significant as a part of this story. What was his mission? And then what does his life story preach to us? I'm going to be jumping all around in, in Scripture. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1 if you want to turn there. But I'll be kind of pinging back and forth in, in the Gospels looking at John and why his life is so important to the story and what his life story challenges us with. Um, a simple synopsis of, of John's life would be this, that he came to make preparations for Jesus to come. If you were looking for a title, that's the title, is, is Counting the Costs. It's Making Preparations for Jesus to Come. And that was kind of his life synopsis, is to make preparations, to prepare the way for Jesus. This was his life's theme. It was his life's calling. Interestingly enough, week two of the Advent season is, is the theme is preparation. And it's a synonym of, of the Advent. You know, again, Advent, the word Advent means coming or arrival. It's twofold. It's, it's celebrating when Jesus did come and he was born. And we celebrate on Christmas Day of, of his birth but it's also living with anticipation and looking forward to him coming again. Because if you look at John chapter 14, when Jesus was giving the encouragement to his, to his disciples, he's, he was saying, don't let your heart be discouraged. Yeah, I'm going to leave, but it, you, in, in the big scope of things, my leaving is very temporary. Number one, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you, you can be with me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Number two, you won't be alone because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you will receive my presence and my power in your life. And number three is this, I'm promising that I'm coming again. And Jesus made that promise. And so we live with this expectation that Jesus is coming again to receive us to himself. And another thing is to see him come in my everyday life, is to prepare myself for what he wants to do in and through me. He has something for us to do every day. We can be on mission 
and adventure with God every day. This has been a challenge in my own life, what the Lord has been really dealing uh, with me about, is to live every day on purpose. Live every day, as Paul said, is taking, taking advantage of the opportunities that we've been giving, making the most of every opportunity. Because we can get in life and just kind of the, you know, the rut of life, and, and, and if you're like me, you, know, you can go three, four days, and you're, you look back and go, what did I do the last three days? I'm not even quite sure. And the Lord's been challenging my own life to, to, to find out what he's doing. And that doesn't mean that we have to live in such a way as, as, you know, in anxiety and stress of going, oh, no, I might miss. It's just simply being obedient to him, walking with him in intimacy, and he will show you. Jesus was never stressed out. He walked about. He prayed to the Father, and he just said, I, I do what I see the Father doing. I speak with it, what I hear the Father speaking. That was his life motto as he lived on the earth. But we can find out what he's doing every day. And I want to I make that my anthem and, and say, God, what are you doing today? What would you have me do today? And so this, this, this idea of preparing for the Lord to come is, is yes, we, we, we remember that he came the first time. We're preparing for his second coming, but also not just getting our eyes out there and just kind of, you know, batting down the hatches and waiting for his, his second coming, but say, Lord, prepare me for what you want to do in and through me today. Living my life prepared. Because Jesus promised that he would come again, but with that promise, as his followers, how should we live now? We should live preparing our own hearts making, and also pr making preparations for him to come. Preparing a place for people to know him. Preparing a place for people to know Jesus. Because we're called to build and advance the kingdom of God on the earth for lost people to come to him. That should be our mission. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. We should be on mission with him. We want to see lost people come to know him. Lives transformed. But living, him, living for him on the earth and also living eternally. Being daily prepared and eternally prepared. So we're going to look at some aspects of John the Baptist's life and what his life speaks to us. Number one, let's look at his calling. Luke chapter 1, it, it, it actually begins with the, the birth of John the Baptist being foretold. We know the story, if you're, if you're not familiar with it, Zechariah and Elizabeth, John's parents, are too old to have kids. Of course, God likes that story. Abraham and Sarah, you know, we can't have kids. And God said, that's exactly what I, I like the odds to be against my people because then you need me to show up. So Zachariah and Elizabeth, they, they have no children. Zechariah is a priest. It's his turn to take, the, uh, you know, to take time in the temple where he's going to offer incense at the altar. He goes into, you know, the, the Holy of Holies. He's offering the incense on the altar. And angel Gabriel shows up. That's a good meeting. And he says to Zechariah, you are going to have a son. And you're going to call him John. And Zechariah, you know, it'd be like most of us. You know, you hear something like that. And, of course, I like to think that if an archangel told me something, I would believe him. But that just shows you, too, our, sometimes our hearts is he's thinking the angel who, I mean, and, 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 Gabriel had to look massive and, and mighty, probably with a flaming sword in his hand saying, you're going to have a child. I think I'd be afraid to say anything at that, at that point. But Zachariah says, nah, no, 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 no. We're, we're much too old. 
as if to say that that wouldn't freak you out if there was an archangel in your midst. And Gabriel says, uh, I stand in the presence of the Lord. Basically, wrong answer. In fact, because you opened your mouth so quick, this is my paraphrase, I think that this, he said something like this. Since you opened your mouth so quick, you're not going to be able to open your mouth until the baby is born. So, so Zechariah goes into complete silence for nine months. But here is, and I, I gave you that because, you know, he, he, is, he is just kind of the beginning of the story of John the Baptist. Interestingly enough, this is six months before Jesus is going to be conceived. John the Baptist was six months um, before Jesus. And so it's interesting even how he came, that he came before Jesus to prepare the way. But verse 11 of, of Luke 1 while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You're to name him John. You will, you will have great joy and gladness, for many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to their God. He will be a, a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. He was called from the womb. There was a destiny, there was a plan, and there was a purpose on his life before he was ever conceived. You know what we can be encouraged by today is, folks, we have the same promise that was on John. You have a plan and a purpose and a destiny on your life. Before you were born, God knew you and he had a plan for you. This was, this was not just for John, that that promise is just for John. Well, he was just in a special class because of who he was. No, there is a plan and a destiny on your life, and it was there before you were ever conceived. Because we were not just conceived by two biological parents. We were conceived in the heart of God. And he had a plan for us. And the angel of the Lord is telling, here's, here's the plan that's going to be on your son's life. He's not even born yet. He's not even been conceived yet. But here's the plan from heaven. I'm bringing you the plan of heaven for this kid's life. So Gabriel is bringing to Zechariah the plan for his life. That, is, that excites me. Because before you and I were born, there was a plan in heaven for us. It was a purpose for our lives. David said, he said, before, before, I, was, before I was ever formed, he knew me. And so his, the, the, the calling that was on his life was to turn many to the Lord. That he would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. There's a high calling on his life. Look over at verse 39. Here's his first encounter with Jesus. He's still not born yet. I love this story. Now Mary is pregnant. We, we, that, that has all happened in these verses that are, that, are, that are previous. And in verse 39 of Luke 1. Mary goes and she is, is, she's going to spend some time with Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth is a relative of hers. And this is John the Baptist's first encounter with Jesus. And they're both in the wombs of their mother. Verse 39, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a really neat encounter. One of the prophecies that the angel said that about John, he said he will be filled with the Spirit before he's ever born. So Mary comes in, she's pregnant with Jesus, she speaks out to Elizabeth, and the power of God is in that room. The baby leaps within Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth's immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, and I believe John was too, so we have an encounter before they're even born. Which kind of can throw me into a whole other topic of when does life begin? It's a good story. But his first encounter with Jesus. Then look in uh, verse 67. Again, we're, we're kind of bouncing around. Now we fast forward and he's born. Zechariah is able to speak again. And so out, out from his mouth comes some uh, better things. And so he's probably had a lot to think about over the last nine months, not being able to talk. But he speaks a prophecy over John. So he's born. Then his father Zacharias, verse 67 of Luke 1, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of the servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant the covenant that he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And here's the specific, so he's thanking, he's thanking the Father for sending Jesus and the promise and the, of, the, of, of the redemption through Christ. And then he says this about his son, verse 76, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of, of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And then it says this about John. John grew up and became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. You will prepare the way of the Lord. And, and so Zechariah is saying, here is the call of God on your life. You will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell people how to find salvation and forgiveness of sins. Do you hear his mission? Remember what his mission, because it means so much and it affects us so much. His calling is our calling. As John came to make preparations for Jesus to minister on the earth, we are also called to make preparations for Jesus to minister to people and to prepare for his return. His calling is our calling. If you don't believe that, turn back to Matthew chapter 17. Turn there even if you do believe it. It's like, well, I believe it. I'm not going to turn there then. This is an interesting passage in Matthew chapter 17 because here's why I believe that John's calling in his life, why his life is so important to us. 
And what his life message preaches to us as he prepared the way of the Lord, the prophecies that were on his life, Jesus had something else to say about him. In Matthew chapter 17, as the story goes, I'm not going to give you the story, but Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain uh, with Jesus, and he's transfigured. His, his whole appearance changes, and they have that encounter. I'm not going to talk about that. But then when they go back down to the mountain, Jesus tells them not to, you know, not to tell about what they have seen until he has you know, gone to be with, uh, with the Father. Verse 10 of, of Matthew 17, his disciples have this interesting question for Jesus. When his disciples, then his disciples ask him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And so this is kind of this, this loaded question because one of, the, one of the prophecies on John's life was this. He will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, referencing the Old Testament prophet who came in spirit and great power and to turn people's hearts from sin to God. And so one of the things that was on John's life is he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, children to their fathers. And so then the disciples say, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied this. He said, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready for the Messiah. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then his disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. And so he was saying John fulfilled that promise. John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way for me to come. But they abused him. They mistreated him. And he said the Son of Man will come to suffer as well. Then take a look in, in, in Malachi it's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Or the really corny preacher joke that they used to tell about the Italian prophet named Malachi. I'm sorry, I even said that. Malachi. Because there is also a second Elijah to come. Listen to this prophecy from Malachi Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Interesting, this is how the Old Testament closes. It's the last words of the Old Testament. He says this, he says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now he's talking, Malachi's talking about the, the latter times. He's not talking about, because he's talking about the coming of the, of the Lord. So he's talking about the end times. He's not just talking about the coming of Christ the first time because he said before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives, I'm sending you again, the prophet Elijah. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So I'm sending you the prophet Elijah in the end times. And so John was the, uh, we have the first Elijah in the Old Testament. John came in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, to turn people's hearts to Jesus. And then this prophecy is this saying, there will become another Elijah. Not a person, not one person. I do not believe it's one person. I think if you look at scriptures and we could kind of look all over the place and do kind of a Bible study, but that takes up too much time. But 
I believe that the Lord is saying here is that there are going to be a people. There's going to be the followers of Jesus. There's going to be a people, the true followers of Christ, that are going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Just like John the Baptist did when Jesus came the first time on the earth. There is going to be a people that will come to prepare the way of the Lord. And I believe that is the church of the Lord Jesus. I believe that that is the calling that is on our lives, that we are coming like John the Baptist, that we are going to prepare people for his coming. Because here's what we're called to do, just like the, the, the prophecy that was on John, is to turn many to the Lord, make preparations for Jesus to come in, in ministry and in his second coming. So it's not just to prepare them for the second coming, but to prepare people's hearts to receive Christ, to turn people to Jesus, the one who is hope and one, the one who is peace. And to live lives that are filled with the Spirit like John. The fruits of the Spirit that, that show as evidence of His work in our lives and the gifts of the Spirit to point people to Him. It is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And why is this phrase in there where about John and about Elijah? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Yes, it is talking biologically. And dads, I'm going to encourage you. This is a passage for us to step up and be leaders in our home and to turn our hearts to the next generation. But this is also spiritual. We in the, 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 the parenting generation and older, we need to turn our hearts to the next generation because we are seeing in our day and age a generation that is falling away from God like never before. And they're having nothing to do with church. They're very interested in spiritual things, but they're running away from church and we have to change the trend and we need to turn our hearts to the next generation to bring them up in the ways of God, to point them to Jesus. So let's look at the, the fulfillment of his calling. And the fulfillment of our calling, of how John fulfilled his mission and ministry to make preparations for Jesus to come, because we see it in his life how he did it. And that's why it gives us a, a, a clue into how he walked his ministry out. And we see through his life of what he did. If you want to turn to, to John chapter 1, we're going to look at his life and how he ful fulfilled his mission. John chapter 1, verse 15. John testified about him, talking about Jesus, when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So we get an indication right there of how he lived life. His first anthem is this. He was pointing at Jesus saying, this is the one that I've been telling you about. This is the one. He's greater than me. I've been preaching to you about him. This is the guy that I've been telling you about. Drop down to verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leader sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He was such a mysterious kind of guy. Who are you? Why did you come? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Now, again, he's not, he's not saying, uh, Jesus said he was the Elijah to come. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not Elijah reincarnated. 
Are you the prophet we were expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? That's a great question. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in this crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming, verse 29. He saw him coming toward him and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptized. But I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And I know that's a lot of reading, but I want you to catch the heartbeat of this guy's life and what it means to us. I love that the, the Pharisees, they said, what do you have to say about yourself? And that's such an important question to all of us. What do you have to say about yourself? And here's John. Is John says, here's what I have to say about myself. I'm not even going to talk about myself because it's not about me. Because he then goes on, he says, I'm not even worthy to be this man's slave or untie the straps of his sandal. You see great humility because he's doing ministry and there's some interesting things going on. He's baptizing people and, and, and he's got this following and there's this ministry that is going on. He's even got disciples of his own, and there's followers coming up, and then the Pharisees are getting a little nervous about who he is and saying, you know, who do you think you are? The religious will always come against true spiritualism, and they say, you know, and, and, and they'll say, who do you think you are? True followers of Jesus will get that from the religious spirit. Who do you think you are? What do you have to say about yourself? Jesus says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. Verse 29, he even says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. He was the one I was talking about. He's the one I've been telling you about. John revealed great humility. He was saying, it is not about me, it's about him. I'm not here to promote myself. I'm not here to promote my ministry. I'm not even here to promote how good of a teacher I am. I'm here to promote the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world because my calling is that I came to prepare a place for him to come and to do what he does, to prepare people's hearts for him. This should be our anthem as well. Behold the Lamb of God. Then in verse, uh, John tra chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them. They are baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. God calling. <clears throat> and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. 
So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people, and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. He's getting more popular than us. What's going on? We had this really cool ministry going on, and there was a lot of people. Now he's got a following, and it's bigger than ours. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear the vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. He must increase and I must decrease. I must become less and less. You hear his heartbeat. Do you hear his heartbeat? His disciples are freaking out because now Jesus has got the great ministry and people are, and he's saying, that's the point. The point is that he have the great ministry. I must decrease. I must get myself out of the way. I'm, I, I, it's not about me. It's not about my, my promoting my own campaign. It's about him. He even gives an illustration. He said, you know, the wedding day is not about the bridegroom. Nobody's looking at the bridegroom going how awesome he is. Most people can't even remember who the best man was in most weddings, unless it was your own. Hopefully you remembered your own. But you remember who the bride and the bridegroom. And, and, and John was saying, I'm like the best man at the wedding. I'm so glad for the, the bridegroom because this is his day. The bride, he and the bride, they are one. The bride's for him. He's for the bride. I'm just so glad to be here, to be in his presence and to point people to him. And so that was his anthem, is to point people to Jesus, prepare people for Jesus. But it wasn't always perfect for John. I'm not going to read this story, but in Matthew chapter 11, John has a crisis of faith. Some of you are familiar with this story. John sends his disciples to Jesus because John is in prison. And here's what his disciples, they go and ask Jesus, they say, we come from John, and, we, and he wants us to ask you, are you the one, or should we be expecting someone else? And what kind of a question was that? I mean, you hear all these anthems of his life before. He sees Jesus, behold the Lamb, I have come to prepare a place for him, and I become, you know, prepare people's hearts for him. Why would, it, why would he even ask that, that, that question? He was having a crisis of faith because he was in prison. And they sent the, he sent his disciples to Jesus, are you the one? Well, he had already declared him as the one. But I think what happened was his life, things were happening in his life that he was out of control of. And I think it was, his life was going down like he did not see it going down because Jesus was not rescuing him from prison. Because Jesus tells them this. He says, go back and tell John what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, and he gives testimonies of who he is. Then he says this, and this is very important. Go tell John, blessed are those who are not offended by me. Or God blesses those who are not offended by me. So John, even John the Baptist had this crisis, this struggle in his faith because he's in prison. I think he was hoping that Jesus would rescue him out of there. But Jesus didn't, because he had fulfilled his mission. We'll have trouble, we will have struggles, we have trials like John the Baptist. 
or like his life, we, we might have things that are not working out the way we thought they would. And I have found out in life that we have lots of opportunities to be offended. You with me on that? If you haven't been offended, you haven't lived long enough. Because Jesus said offenses will come, and we're going to have a lot of opportunity in this life to be offended. And especially when life is not seemingly working out like we thought or a certain situation is not working out like we thought, sometimes we get offended with God. If you look at the Psalms, David got offended with God. Now, he didn't keep the offense, and he wasn't rebellious, but he would say, where are you? And he cried out to him with hard prayers, where are you? He would always end by saying something like, nevertheless, I will praise you. But he did have some hard questions. But in this life, we're going to have opportunities to be offended with God or with someone else. We offend others, and others offend us. It's interesting that Jesus would tell, go back and tell John, God blesses those who are not offended by me. Because the calling of the life of John was to prepare the way of the Lord, to finish his business, to, be, to do a, a good job, well done, good and faithful servant, but then he was going to die, and he kind of died in an icky way. His head was removed in prison. And we can look at that and go, that seems like a failure. That seems like a, a, a loss. Why wouldn't God keep him alive for a really long time? I mean, look at the, the impact that guy could have made. And John would say, it's not about me. It's not about the impact. I come to fulfill my mission, and then I'm done. But he had this crisis. And Jesus makes this very strong point. Bless, God blesses those who are not offended by me. It's funny because right after he says that, John's a bit offended, but Jesus goes on to speak highly of John. And he said, you know what? As far as prophets go, there is not another prophet like this man. In other words, he fulfilled his mission, and he did well. So in closing, I want to talk about our lives. As John, we are called to make preparations for the Lord to come. In everyday life, we are to make preparations for him to come. At our job, at school, when we go to the store, and this again, this is a challenge for my own life. This is something that the Lord has been really placing his finger up on my own heart and some things I'm trying to get right with God is to be on mission with him and to find out what he's doing, to prepare people to know him. That when people come in contact with my life, are they more prepared to meet Jesus than they were before they met me? But we're called to make preparations for Jesus to come in ministry, in everyday life, to turn people to Him, to live lives that are filled with the Spirit like John's, and to turn hearts of fathers to the children, and turn our own hearts to the next generation, and to live lives that are prepared for Him to come. So how do we do it? Again, we look at John. He modeled it for us. How did he fulfill his mission? How did he make preparations for Jesus to come? Number one is this, true humility. True humility. I'm not talking about false humility. I'm not talking about, you know, just dumping self-deprecating comments upon yourself. But I'm talking about true humility. Sometimes we can do a false humility, which is really rooted in pride. But true humility 
of the same questions that the Pharisees asked of John that we look at in our own hearts. What do you have to say about yourself? And here's what, I, what, what we need to say about ourselves is it's about Jesus. Anything good that happens in my life, it's about Jesus. I'm not worthy. He is. To Him be the glory. I must get away from self-promotion and promote Him because we live in a culture that is all about me and promote yourself. And if you're, you're going to get somewhere, you have to knock everybody else down and, and run ahead. That is exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught. It's about promoting Him. And saying, I trust him. I'm going to live life for him. And where he has me, I'm going to live for him faithfully every day in true humility. That's what John modeled. That's how he fulfilled his mission. Number two is point people to him. Point people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When, Je when Jesus came walking toward John that day when he was baptizing, he stopped everything and he said, Behold, this is the one I'm telling you about. This is the guy. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus. If you need peace, there's Jesus. If you need joy, there's Jesus. If you need strength, you need Jesus. Pointing people to Him. Do they see Him in me? And John, over and over, he, you can even hear sometimes his frustration with his, with his own followers because, you know, at one point, you know, their, their, their ministry is not as popular. And he's like, this is the point, guys. This is what I've been trying to tell you. This is the guy that I've been trying to tell you about all along. He's here. Look at him. True humility. Point people to him. Number three is we must decrease and he must increase. Athena and I started praying this years ago, but we prayed to be hidden. And it's amazing how God answers that prayer. God, hide us. That's what John was saying is, I must become less and less. I must decrease. I must get myself out of the way so he can be seen more. That we pray to be hidden. Pray for a spirit of decrease. <laughs> I know that sounds completely opposite of what, what you've probably heard. We want increase. Well, we want him to be increased. I want more of him increased in me, but I got to get myself out of the way. It's what Paul said when he said, I boast in my weakness because his, his power, his strength is perfected in my weakness. When I, when I think that I've got it all straight in my own self or I think that my willpower is going to get me through, I am to the point of failure. But I boast that I'm weak so that he can be strong in me. And any strength that you see is his strength. And then four is this. We need to guard our hearts against offense. How do we prepare for the Lord? True humility, pointing people to him, decreasing and let him increase, and then guarding our hearts against offense. God blesses those who don't turn away or are not offended because of me. And today I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, have you, are you offended with him for some reason, or for something that may be going on in your life? Have you been offended with him? Are you offended with someone else? Maybe a family member, maybe some, a coworker, maybe a, a friend that betrayed you. God wants to deal with the offenses in our hearts. John Bevere wrote that whole book about the whole, the, the whole point was a, uh, on offense called the bait of Satan. He said, the biggest bait that Satan uses is offense. And if he can get us to take that bait, he has got us. 
Because if we live in offense, then we justify all kinds of sins. Well, I can hold hate in my heart because of what happened to me. I don't have to forgive because of what they did to me. And we justify all manner of things in our own hearts and our own minds when we live offended. But that is a slippery slope that we will not recover if we don't get out of that. We have to release stuff from our hearts. We have to release offense from our hearts. We have to allow the Lord to heal those places. We need to choose forgiveness. Notice I didn't say we need to feel forgiveness. Forgiveness is very difficult, but we have to remember what we were forgiven of. That our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. We have the biggest offense on us known to mankind. One sin deserves death. And our sin nailed him to the cross, so he, in his own right, in his own justice, deserves to be offended with us. But he chose to forgive us, even while we were still sinners. So we have to let that stuff go. We have to allow the Lord to heal that place in our heart. We have to forgive others. We have to forgive ourselves sometimes and walk in freedom because Jesus wants us to fulfill our mission on this earth. He wants us to prepare a place for him. He wants us to make preparations for him to come. I want to see people in this region come to know Jesus through the ministry that he's called each of us to, through the ministry that he's called this church, I want to see people's lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to make preparations for him to come. But there's some things that we have to get right in our own heart because we first, the preparation starts with us. We have to prepare our own hearts for what he wants to do in us and then what he wants to do through us. And live daily prepared, asking God, what do you want to do in me and through me today that brings you glory? And help me to walk those things out. But we're called to make preparations for Jesus to come. Let's get ready for what he wants to do. Let's repent. Let's forgive. Let us love well and let us finish well. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, I just thank you, God, for your love for us. Lord, thank you for the life of John the Baptist, Lord. If you're with him right now, tell him we said hi and we love him. He's our, he's our hero. Just love that guy's heart, Lord, that came. And, but he was every bit as human as we are. And, Lord, you called him from, birth, from even before he was born, before birth, you had a destiny and you had a plan for his life to prepare for your coming to prepare people to know Jesus Lord I pray God that we would understand today how great your love is for us that Lord each and every person in this room Lord before they were ever conceived biologically by two parents they were conceived in the heart of God that you had a plan you had thoughts for them that you had a purpose for them God, we receive your love today. Lord, I pray, God, that we would fulfill our mission, the, the mission that you've called us to, that we would prepare the way of the Lord. God, that we would live lives that bring glory to you, that people would see your work in us. Even like Peter said, Lord, that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us when people say, what's different about you? And we can say, it is because of Jesus. 
And I pray, God, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would walk in true humility. God, that we would not promote ourselves, but we would point people to you. Lord, that we would decrease so that you can increase. Lord, that we would guard our hearts against offense. And I pray, God, that anyone in this room, God, that is dealing with pain today from offense, Lord, maybe from years ago, maybe something that's kind of current, I pray that they would, Lord, just by your strength, they would begin to let it go. They would forgive. They would release. And allow your presence, your spirit to heal their hearts. Lord, we love you today. And Jesus, we want people to be ready for you to come. God, make us ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great week.